Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. All right, welcome to this week's episode of People First, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest, Dr. Ruth Gautian. Ruth is the Chief Learning Officer and Assistant Professor of Education in Anesthesiology and former Assistant Dean of Mentoring and Executive Director of the Mentoring Academy at Weill Cornell Medicine. She's been hailed by the journal Nature and Columbia University as an expert in mentorship and leadership development. But what's really piqued my curiosity and what you'll be learning today is she is also an expert in what it takes to be successful. In 21, she was selected as one of the 30 people worldwide to be named to the Thinkers 50 radar list, dubbed the Oscars of Management Thinking, and recently won the Thinkers 50 Distinguished Achievement Radar Award, ranking her as the number one emerging management thinker in the world to bridge theory and practice. She's also a semi-finalist for the Forbes 50 over 50 list. And I'm excited to share and discuss the insights from her book. Ah, matching, <laughs> matching the success factor, developing the mindset and skill set for peak business performance. Ruth, welcome to People First. Thank you. I am so excited to be here with you. This is so exciting. Oh, my goodness. Well, I want to take you back to your origin story. I start every episode with the same question. So when you were a wee girl, what did you dream about being or doing when you grew up? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, it started out with I was going to be a soccer player. Then I was going to be a doctor. <laughs> then I was going to do something in banking. And now here I am, a faculty member and an author. So. <laughs> It sounds a little bit like my journey, because when I was little, I wanted to be a space explorer. I loved Star Trek. I was sharing that with you in the green room. I also wanted to be a long distance truck driver because I thought I'd get to see the world. <laughs> then I was going to be an engineer, but ended up, you mentioned finance. I ended up in finance and now leadership development, author of three books and so on. And of course, getting to hang with people like you. So what was the pivot point for you that means that you're not a soccer player but you are, um, what was that, teaching anesthesiology? Well, <laughs> assistant professor of education in anesthesiology. So do you yeah. teach people to go to sleep? What? what no, I couldn't. I, that would be illegal. I'm not a physician. Um, but I had a long, strange, you know, uh, path. I started college as pre-med, and then I sat in one chemistry class, not a course, mm -hmm. one 40-minute class, and I said, oh, no, this is not for me. You didn't like and chemistry? I didn't, even though I was really good at math and I liked science, but uh, that just wasn't for me. So I went to okay. business school uh -huh. and loved it. I uh, did my undergrad and grad school in it. And like all good business students went to work in banking and finance. And then I realized you can be good at something and not enjoy it. And I loved working with students. I went back to higher ed, specifically academic medicine, ran an mm -hmm. MD, PhD program for 22 years. And along the way, I've been surrounded at that time with really successful people, really competitive. The program I ran had a three and a half percent acceptance rate. And then I noticed these people are a little different. How can we get more of this different? And at the age of 43, while working full time and raising my family, I went back to school and I got my doctorate. 
And I've been studying success ever since. And then I became a dean and now a chief learning officer and author of the books, The Success Factor, and just <laughs> open. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, you got to you got to lift it up. I mean, I that that's what I'm I loved about product it. Product placement. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, here product placement is one thing. It's the fact that when the spine is is bent and cracked, that's what you've got to look for. And I've got corners turned down on this, and little notes that I've made in the corner. And it's funny because you mentioned already that you can be good at something that you don't enjoy, and that was one of the insights here, which is quite the reverse, which is find something that you love to do. That's right and then build the skill. So what was the in inspiration then for even starting the book? <laughs> so at um, my doctorate was on the most successful physician scientists of our generation. I was really obsessed with this group, these people who got the MD and also were doing research. And mm -hmm. that was my initial research. In fact, that was my doctoral dissertation was about this group. And I told... I had a conversation with the former Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. David Satcher, about it. And I was talking to him about my research and my findings. He said, you know, you have to publish this as a book. And I was like, who would be interested in that? And he's like, no, 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 you really, you really need it. But, you know, when the former Surgeon General of the United States tells you this, you don't exactly ignore it. But I didn't quite think I was ready. So I kept it in the back of my mind. And since then, I been obsessed with success and I was interviewing all these other people, these Olympians and NBA stars and CEOs and astronauts. And my dad kept asking me, are you getting ideas for your next book? Are you getting ideas for your next book? And shortly after he passed away, a publisher reached out to me and that's when I knew mm -hmm. I had to write this book. So it was a mixture of my dad and the former Surgeon General of the United States. And here we are with the success factor. So I know it makes it sound so dramatic, the success factor by Dr. Ruth Gautian. And it is, it's phenomenal. So here was the thing, you'd been doing research on what makes for successful leaders in the medical industry, mm -hmm. but now you've branched out and you're yeah. interviewing Nobel Prize winners, you're interviewing astronauts, you're interviewing athletes, you are going the spectrum. Yes. So what remained the same? What was the boring underlining fact that you that, that con connects the dots across industries when it comes to success? And then we can talk about the surprising and <laughs> interesting things as well. But what was the most boring? Oh, all right. Yeah, I knew that. So there's actually four things that they all had in common. And that was what was so impressionable to me is that if an astronaut is just like an Olympic champion, then that means these are learned skills. And if they're learned skills, I'm an adult educator. I can teach it. Mm -hmm. So what are the four things that they all have in common? One, intrinsic motivation. They have found what it is that they love to do. That's the first one. The second one, they're going to outwork everybody. And I don't mean they're going to work 18-hour days. No, they're going to leverage their peak performance hours. And it's also the way they view challenges. They never question if they will overcome it. They know that they will. Instead, they question how. What is the strategy I haven't mm. thought of yet? They always add the word yet at the end. Mm. Third, they have a strong foundation, which they are constantly reinforcing what they did early in their career they're going to do later in their career as well they don't rest on their laurels at all 
And last, certainly not least, is that despite all of their major accomplishments, they're still learning. They're still trying to find ways to connect dots, make these connections that other people don't see or appreciate yet. So while they're not going to formal classrooms, they're learning informally. They're talking to people. They're reading books, articles, um, LinkedIn learning courses, podcasts, webinars, such as this one. Hopefully people are learning great things. And they surround themselves with a team of mentors. That's what made them successful. See, I love that piece. The, the team of mentors, because it comes down to relationships and it doesn't matter whether you're an Olympic champion or at the pinnacle of your your own in- industry, it takes a team to get there. It is Absolutely. the quality of the relationships of the people cheering you on, opening doors when you're not in the room. I'm interested. So what was the surprising piece that came out of your research then? We've talked about the four pillars yes. that underpinned them all. But yes. what was most surprising to you is you met with these amazing leaders. You know, I always thought it was the goal was to get that big award, to get mm-hmm. that big recognition. And that's when I realized it's not. So I always asked the Olympians, can you show me your medals at the mm-hmm. end of every interview? And it was always fascinating to me. I thought they'd have a trophy room, but they didn't. This mm-hmm. one had it in a safe. This one had it in a nightstand. Apollo Ono had it in a brown paper bag in a sock drawer. I mean, <laughs> If I won an Olympic medal, now, Maureen, what would you do if you won an Olympic medal? I'd wear it to vacuum. I everyone okay. walk around the house, right? No. And I said, I thought it was so odd. And they said, but it was never about the medal. That's a chapter in my life, not the entire story. Wow. Oh. Okay. But, okay. <laughs> yes. And so as an aspiring athlete... <laughs> and I think I will continue to be an aspiring athlete all my life. You're right. If I won a gold medal, not only would be people falling out of their seats thinking, how did that happen? I would want to flaunt it to say, see, I can you run to the grocery bit, store. Whatever it is. <laughs> but you think about the awards that you've won in your career or even I mean, I know we hang our diplomas. I can see the plaques on the wall behind you and so forth. But By the I way, think- it took me over 22 years to finally put them on the wall. What? See, well, that's your equivalent. You had them in a sock drawer. And so that was it. And and that's the thing. And the thing that really admires me, if we keep the uh, athlete theme going, that really uh, uh, I admire when I look at athletes in particular, is they don't get to do success in private. Yes. I mean, Nobel laureate scientists, yes, you're getting peer-reviewed, but it's in your own industry. It's semi-closed doors. And then we hear about the awards. We see the red carpet at the Oscars or whatever, if it's an act or an actress. But Olympians, any Mm -hmm. athletes, soccer players, the World Mm -hmm. Cup, any league, they're they're on the public stage. And people like me, the armchair athletes are going, oh, no, we didn't nail the landing. (laughs) Oh, gosh, who should do that? And so we're critiquing, and you talked earlier, one of the things that stands out in the success factor is how to deal with setbacks. And of course, the Olympics, we see personal bests. Mm-hmm. And let's be clear, we see personal worsts, mm-hmm. personal bests. That's right. So what is it that athletes and other leaders are doing then that allow them to navigate that? Because that would bring many of us to our knees. It would, but... They see all of these challenges and missteps 
as learning opportunities. That's mm-hmm. why the athletes are always recording, videotaping every meet that they have and then ripping it apart with a fine tooth comb. What is the way that I can do it better, faster, stronger, higher, whatever it is? What can I do better? Even if they got the gold medal, they're still mm-hmm. going to look for ways to improve. Now, they are surrounding themselves with a team of mentors, a team of people who believe in them more than they believe in themselves. And in fact, a mentor really has two roles. One is to help you with your career development. Mm-hmm. The other is really to help you with your psychosocial support. So the book, The Success Factor, is filled with interviews of very prolific people, as well as some people you may not have heard of, but who did incredible things. Mm-hmm. One of the people who I interviewed was Dr. Bob Lefkowitz. Bob won the, Dr. Lefkowitz won the Nobel Prize in chemistry in 2012. Now, what was interesting is when the Vietnam War broke out, if you were a physician, you had two choices. You could go to war mm-hmm. and likely not come home, or you can join the public health service. And that's what Dr. Bob Lefkowitz, Dr. Tony Fauci, uh, Dr. Howard Varmus, a lot of these people went into the public health service and they actually all worked at the National Institutes of Health together. Now, at the beginning, when Dr. Lefkowitz was working at the National Institutes of Health, nothing worked. I mean, nothing worked. Every experiment was a disaster. And later, when he won the Nobel Prize, they reached out to his mentor from his NIH days. And they said, well, what was it like? What was it like working with him? And he said, my biggest job, my biggest job was to keep Bob Lefkowitz out of a deep, dark depression. That was what his mentor said. And that is the other role of the mentor. One is to help you with your career, but the other is to actually give you perspective and be your cheerleader by your side and prevent you from making a mountain out of every molehill. And all of these extreme high achievers have a team of people like this, a team. Mm -hmm. You can do that too. Well, I love it because you talk about mentors in the later chapters of the book. And again, it caught my eye because you talk about mentors and friend tours. Friend tours. My new book is You, Me, We, and it's all about why we need friends at work and how to show up as one. So tell me about the concept of friend tours. Friend tours. We have heard of peer mentors. Peer mentors are people who you work with, but friend tours take that to the next level. These are your friends who are also serving as your mentors. Now, why are these people so important is because peers rise together. You are Mm. not going to... stay in that junior level forever. And in the book, in The Success Factor, I actually talk about two prolific women. I talk about Dr. Lynn Wooten, who's the president of Simmons University out in Boston. And I talk about Dr. Erica James, who's the dean of Wharton at the University of Pennsylvania, the top business school in the world. The two of them are best friends. They talk to each other five days a week. And they are also each other's mentors. Yeah. Now, they met as graduate students in their 20s at the University of Michigan. They happened to be sitting next to each other in the auditorium. Now, they met in their 20s. One is now the president of a university. The other is a dean of a top 
business school. Remember I said peers rise together. Mm-hmm. Imagine you develop that friendship and develop that relationship early on. And it continues throughout your career. We like to work with people who we know, like, and trust. And if they know you when you're in the stress of graduate school, they are definitely going to know you oh my later and want to help you. And they, they are friendors, friends are friend also tours. each other's mentors. You are so speaking my language because the research <laughs> that we've done for Cultivate and You, Me, We is all about the, the more we know, like, and trust each other, the more we can be um, vulnerable, the more we're going to be candid, the more we can connect because I'm going to tell you my true story. If you ask me how am I doing, I'm not just going to give you the British fine, even if the world's <laughs> falling apart. I'm going to be candid. But also then you get the feedback you need to hear as well as the cheerleading. So to your point earlier, when you talked about Dr. Bob Leftwitz, the keeping him out of the depression, it was also, though, I'm sure, celebrating those successes. Yes. And that's what it's all about. It's about celebrating the small wins. If you're going to wait until that gold medal or the Nobel Prize to celebrate your win, you're going to have a really hard time getting there. Because it's not about goals, it's about milestones. It's the mini goals along the way to the big goal. And we need to learn to celebrate those little goals along the way, because that's how we're going to get to the big goals. So that sends up like like 9 million questions in my head right now. Because I, I shared with you, I watched King Richard um, on the flight uh, the weekend And that's all about the story of Serena and Venus Williams. And what stood out for me was it was the daily, what am I going to do, the small changes on the road, the milestones to the bigger goal. And, of course, the people that you've interviewed for the success factor are all at the pinnacle. And, of course, as ever, we all get recognition for the, oh, my gosh, they're so amazing. But, of course, it's 20, 30 years that have been invested That's right. So when did they know that they were going to be that successful? And what is the definition of success? Do we all need to aspire to a gold medal or a Nobel Peace Prize to be successful? You know, it's interesting because I I would tell the people in the book before I interviewed them, oh, you came up on my list as an extreme high achiever. I'd like to interview you. And they said, I am? What? Me? <laughs> and I said, you are you won the Nobel Prize. If you're not a high achiever, what does that say about the rest of us? Now, what's interesting is when, my, when the success factor launched, there were many events, but there was a private event for the people in the book and the people who endorsed the book because I knew all of them, but they didn't know each other. And one of the astronauts texts me, And he said, will Dr. Fauci be at the event? Because Dr. Fauci is one of the people who I interview. And I said, (laughs) I think I've heard of him right now. (laughs) (laughs) I said, he's busy right now. We have a pandemic. I said, oh, but this Nobel Prize winner will be there. So the astronaut said, oh, Nobel Prize. Now that's a high achiever. And I'm thinking, but you're an astronaut. You went to space space in a tin can. And, And then I realized Everyone in his circle is an astronaut. So to him, that's not a high achiever. That's baseline. Mm -hmm. And it really depends on your environment and who you surround yourself with, because that's what's going to set the bar for you. And that's why I think they don't see themselves as a high achiever, 
because it's what everyone around them is doing. Because the high achievers always like to be the least interesting person in the room. Remember I said they always Mm -hmm. want to learn. The way to learn and to learn from others is to put yourself in a place with people who are different than you. That's how you're going to learn things. That's how you're going to make the connections that other people don't see. That's what they're doing. That's why they don't see themselves as high I achievers. And, but I encourage leaders to think of it as a, a give and a take. Because one of the, the trite phrases that really gets my goat is the you're the average of the five people you hang out with. Yeah. And yeah, or if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. That one, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. yes, and because to your point, I know having met you, the 100 coaches, it's elevated. Being in the room of giants and giantesses and gods and goddesses in our industry, it has helped me to elevate my perspective. But what I don't want to do is lose sight of the people who I can now pass that on to. And so we need to do the and, because if we're always looking to get through the, the bronze door, the silver door, the platinum door, the super trillium whatever door, if we're always moving forward but not keeping the door ajar for others, then I think we're missing an opportunity. You are bringing up an excellent point. And this goes back to your question, how do you define success? Mm. And that was actually the early part of my research because we don't have a uniform definition of success. And what I quickly realized when I started doing the research was that the definition changes based on who you ask. And even once you come up with a definition, the target changes, the goalposts change because success is a moving target. Once you reach your goal, there's always another goal after that. But the definition of success that I used for the success factor, these are people who have achieved something. They have created a paradigm shift in the way we do things, think about things, process things. They are notable in their field. So while It's not about the Nobel Prize because there are some people you have never heard of, but who have done incredible Mm -hmm. things. As they are ascending in their career, they are also bringing other people up with them. And when they have achieved great success, they actually mentor the next generation. And they are either doing it one-on-one or through developing incredible programs. So let's think of our mutual friend, Marshall Goldsmith, who wrote Mm -hmm. forward to the success factor. He has achieved incredible success in what he does. And what does he do in his semi-retirement? He created 100 Mm -hmm. coaches Mm -hmm. to really mentor the next generation how to do this coaching thing right and how to make ourselves better. And Marshall Goldsmith is just one of many, many examples we can talk about. So this is, it's all around you. Now, once you see it, you won't be able to unsee it. There was another quote that stood out for me that you're now making me think about. It's that no one wakes up determined to be average. And I have a similar um, quote in my books, which is nobody wakes up with the intent of being seen as the brilliant or just the jerk at work, but something happens. So for those, if none of us are determined to be average, what are some of the learnings we can take away from this that will help us to move to that next milestone on our journey to success? That's right. So I think part of the problem is that we have always tried 
to copy other people's habits. Mm-hmm. Oh, the get up at 4 a.m. lark. Not doing that either. <laughs> exactly. Get up at 4 a.m. Read for three to eight hours a day. You know, all these kinds of, you know, eat a big breakfast, whatever it is. But that works for them. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work in your lifestyle, right? If you are a night owl and you don't go to bed till two o'clock in the morning, you're not waking up at five. It's just mm-hmm. not going to happen. But what we can emulate, and this is really what I tried to crystallize in the book, we can emulate their mindset. It's not that they woke up at four or five in the morning that made them successful. It's that they are leveraging their peak cognitive hours. They figured out when they are most focused, and that is when they are doing their deep work. Think of all the people who we know who schedule deep work during the remnants of their time in the day. You can't be reflective on command. That does not work. You need to figure out when you are most focused and do your your cognitive tasks then and leave the passive tasks, the Zooms, the emails, leave that for when you're a little more sluggish, which for me is in the late afternoon. So that is what we can learn from the high achievers. Don't bother. Don't worry about copying their habits. It's not going to work for you. You really need to emulate their mindset. And that's why the last third of the book is all about implementation practices. So if Mm -hmm. I taught you the four elements of success, I'm an adult educator. I have to bridge theory and practice. Thinkers 50 gave me an award for this. I have to teach (laughs) you how to do it. And that's why it's all implementation. But I realized that what works for you is not going to work for me. And what works for me today is not going to work for me when I have a transition in my life, a move, a new job, a pandemic. So there need to be options. And there need to be options that will work for all of us. So I love that because it talks about finding your values, your passion, and then the first steps and the tribe, those Mm -hmm. mentors, friends, the the people, the allies who are going to help you move forward. So how has your research then influenced your personal definition of success or changed how you show up? Yeah. Uh, So I was patient zero. I realized that success can be learned. Once I uncovered that the astronaut is like the Olympian, that's when I figured that success can be learned. And if success can be learned, I'm an adult educator. I can teach it. So Mm -hmm. I reverse engineered the path. I created a blueprint in in the success factor. And now I go around teaching it to people because I know that this is something that can be learned. This is something that can be improved. And look, we got to meet each other. I know. Match made in heaven. All right. And we wrote an article together. I mean, I know. Can't wait to see that one. Check out the American Management Association quarterly journals and you will find Dr. Ruth and myself in there talking about mentoring. So the success factor, everybody needs to get their hands on a copy. I have my hands on my copy. I'm sorry, I'm not lending it, but I have given it away. Uh, I'm running a leadership challenge and your book was uh, one of the weekly prizes for those participants. So thank you for that, Ruth. But what's one final thought that you would like to leave our listeners with? And of course, how can they learn more beyond just buying the book? So one of the things that I realized with all of the extreme high achievers is that they fear not trying more than they fear failing. Because what's the worst that'll happen? Nobody's going to die. Nobody's Mm -hmm. dying. So I 
challenge every single one who's watching and listening to do something where they fear not trying more than they fear failing because taking that first step is half the battle. And I'm really hoping the success factor really helps you do that. Love it. So where can we learn more about you and your work? I am all over social media. It's just my name, Ruth Gotian. The website is ruthgotian.com. The book is where Ever you love buying books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart. But if you go to my website, ruthgotian.com slash book, you can find places all over the world where you can get the book. And there's a bonus about how to start conversations with strangers. Oh, ignore what your mother said. Start conversations with strangers. That's, I that's love right. it. <laughs> all right. Well, Dr. Ruth, thank you very much. I'll make sure all of that information is in our show notes. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of People First. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.